Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. To drink deeply of Jesus, will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Come and draw from the well of salvation. Be made clean, let Him wash you in truth. He is the fountain of living water. Come and be made new. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. He can refresh you in the desert where your sin left you lost on the brink. He is the fountain of living water. Come to Him, dear sinner, and drink. water of life you will never thirst again let all who are thirsty come to him will you drink deeply of Jesus will you come to the water of life you will never thirst again let all who are thirsty been lost in the wilderness, chasing nothing but sin and death. He is the fountain of living water. Come to Jesus and live. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I need you to work with me today. Yesterday's broadcast, today's and tomorrow's, will all fit together, trying to achieve a very specific purpose. Now, what I'm going to share with you today is a a story that I have read on a number of occasions, I'm asking, don't just turn it off. Stay with me. You see, the other times I shared this amazing story with you, it did not have its desired results in your hearts. So I'm going to do it again, but put it between two other broadcasts. G.C. Bevington was a holiness preacher. Now, the difference between a holiness preacher and a Methodist preacher was that a holiness preacher is talking about leaving all sin and walking in total victory. While most Methodists at that time, this is turn-of-the-century stuff, preached sanctification, which was 
the maturing and the growing up in the gospel of Jesus. Both are necessary. G.C. Bevington was one of a kind. Some people came to one of his meetings and immediately said, please come to our church. It's a 350-member Methodist church. And so he agreed that if they had the pastor's permission, he would come. Well, after some conjoling on the part of the members, the pastor came and invited him and signed papers, contract for him to preach in his pulpit. He came, he began to preach there, and the pastor was very upset with his messages. He said, we don't need holiness preaching. The whole 350-member congregation is all saved. Well, Bevington didn't think so. Well, they got thrown out of the church, and he went home to the place where he was staying and discovered that his suitcase had been set out in a cold Indiana winter. He had no place to stay. So he prayed, and the Lord directed him on what direction to go. And he finally ran into a haystack, and there dug back into that haystack deep enough that he could sleep in there, put his suitcase down for a a pillow. And he went in and went to sleep. He'd been up all night. He woke up, struck a match, and found that it was 5.30 p.m. So he crawled out, he shook off the chaff, he used his handkerchief for a towel after washing well in the snow, and started back to the house that had been offered to continue the meetings. Now, I want you to hear something. This preacher was not a a milk-toast preacher. He was going to come and preach the truth. I love that. He didn't compromise like today's preachers. When he got to the house, he found 25 people there, with saws and horses. They were drawing logs and sawing them into blocks for seats. Both rooms were nearly seated. I said to the man of the house, Are there two rooms? Is this all you have? Surprised by my question, he replied, But these will hold more than the schoolhouse. Is there another room upstairs? I persisted. Yes, sort of, an unfinished attic. What do you want to go up there for? I want a place to pray. Then I spied a door on the ceiling and asked, Can I get up through there? He said, There isn't any flooring, and you'll be cold. Well, just let me get up there. So he went and got the ladder. I went up. I got close as I could to the large chimney lying across the joist, and I burst into great sobs. I just lay there and wept. I ignored the increasing noise downstairs, supposing they were finishing up seating. Finally, I struck a match and saw that it was 9.30 p.m., so I got up and went downstairs. I found over a hundred people waiting for me. I had no message. I only had a great burden that souls be brought under this conviction where they could see their real condition and fly to the Son of God for refuge. That's my cry. That's my cry. That by hearing this story and the sermons yesterday's and tomorrow's, you will begin to see the real condition of your heart and you will get to God. We're in trouble, people. We're in deep trouble. Continuing, there was some unoccupied space where I landed from the attic, so I just dropped down on my face again. 
In about 30 minutes, the preacher's son came to me, and he whispered, Aren't you going to preach? There are over a 100 people here waiting. I exhorted him to go and the rest to pray, but he said, There's no one here who can do any good at prayer. You've spoiled us all. The only prayer that any of us ought to be praying is the prayer of repentance. Well, I thought he was about right. So I got up and I said, Brethren, this great battle must be fought out on our faces. I have no message to preach. You've had too much preaching. I have only a burden of prayer that each of you may be brought face to face with your real condition as God sees you. I beg you to fly for your lives to the Son of God who has made provision for your complete deliverance from sin. At that, I crawled out the window nearest me and made a beeline for my straw house. I lay on my face to plead and weep and moan and groan and wrestle all night. I finally struck a match. I found that it was 5.30 a.m. I fell asleep until late that afternoon. Then I crawled out, took another wash in the snow. It was still freezing cold. And went back to the house where I found about 75 people. More than 20 were down praying as if they really meant business. Some on their faces, sobbing. Others kneeling and praying. Others with hands up pleading and weeping. Others walking where they could find room. All that crowd pleading for mercy, mind you, were those saved people from the church. Among them were the son and daughter of the pastor. I raised the window, crawled back in as there was no room to get in the door. I again climbed up the ladder into the attic, got on my face across those sleeper joints, close to that warm chimney. After a while, the man of the house crawled up the ladder and said, It's after eight. They all want you to come down and preach. Tell them to go on praying, I said. Well, I'm afraid they'll all get tired of this and leave and not return, and then all of this good work will be for nothing. Here's more logic to contend with, but I remained where I was. I could hear them praying and singing. About 10 p.m., I went down and found about 40 in soul agony. These included the pastor's son and daughter. Both of them had been testifying to being saved for several years. I could see God was working. And I knew that if God was working, it would be foolish of me to take it out of God's hands into my hands. I raised the window and slipped back out into my private quarters to plead with God for them. I got back on my face and struggled and agonized and wrestled. I wept and held on, expecting God to work wonders. I struck a match and found it was 6 a.m. So I rolled over and slept the whole day again. I had another good wash in the snow, shook myself, started for the meetings, I found about 200 people there, most of them in great misery. One man, his wife, met me outside and began to tell me about the trouble they were having with their bad neighbor. I said, go inside, get down on your faces and plead for mercy. Throw open your hearts to God. Get honest before him and let him examine you. They did so. I said, get right with God. Why, I'm a good member here in this church. I repeated it again. Get right with God. Repent. Get yourself properly fixed up. Then matters can be easily adjusted. Two sisters were the next to unload the terrible measures, the meanness of their neighbors, saying, We want you to pray for them as they're a a terror to the whole neighborhood. You two are the ones who need praying for. Never mind the neighbors. Get right yourself. Go through with God. 
shocked. They informed me why Brother Bevington were members in good standing in this church here. Well, you're all the worse for that. We want to get our children saved, my son and daughter-in-law. Then get in there and get down on your face and deal with God directly, not with Bevington. Well, there's no room inside. I could hardly believe their excuses. Make room then. Go in the kitchen if you have to. Well, the kitchen is crammed full. Go in, go in, go in. I left those self-righteous complainers, went to my window, crawled in, slipped up the ladder. Only a few saw me. But soon the man of the house came and he said about 300 people were there. I finally went down and found many on their knees pleading. The man's son was crying as he said, Oh, won't you preach? I am so miserable. I need help. Please tell me what to do. My sister is weeping too. There was only room to stand at the ladder. So there I began with my text. Prepare to meet thy God. I believe that never before nor since have I delivered such a message as was giving, given during the next 40 minutes. Everyone was writhing in great agony, some walking, screaming. Only about 60 could kneel, but they were doing a good job. Oh, how God did send out the lightning bolts in great torture. Feeling I'd done all that God wanted me to do, I hoisted the window and made for my accommodation in the snow stack, the straw stack. I crawled into the familiar cave, got on my face and could do nothing but cry and groan and plead all night long. Then I slept until evening again. After taking another cold bath, I started back to the house and found 60 people there. You know, part of what I have to recognize as I read this for you today, I've not been praying like this. And I believe part of why God allowed or caused my leg to be broken is to get me quiet long enough that I begin to pray like this. Are you praying like this? I stopped and stood at the ladder, and as I waited there, the pastor came in. He began to lash me with his tongue, calling me about all the names in the catalog. I was somewhat accustomed to such vocal expressions, so they did not disturb my equilibrium. I just remained speechless through it all, and finally he wound up by ordering every one of his members out of there with the command never to return. They all arose and followed him out except his son. The man and a family of the house and one or two other family members, I think there were about 16 people left. Suddenly I felt like preaching, and so I did, on the judgment and wrath of God. The son, the man of the house, and his wife, and the others prayed through by early morning. We had a blessed time, and that son did some wonderful preaching. The night before, the pastor had taken his daughter by the dress collar and literally dragged her out of the meeting, threatening to punish her severely if she ever returned. The son was too big for that kind of treatment, so the pastor had to go off without him. I slipped out, went to my straw hotel where I wept until noon, and then went to sleep. I awakened that evening and went out for another snow bath. It was my bathroom. I went back down to the house and found only 22 people there. But all 22 were down pleading with God for mercy except those who had gotten through and they were now seeking sanctification. The pastor's daughter was there again. I felt led to remain all night with them, so I stayed until 3 a.m. and then went 
upstairs. Soon, the woman of the house came up and said, I think I'm going to throw all of these blocks out and clean the whole thing up. I'm convinced that I'm right. The pastor says I am because I've been a member here in good standing for years. You're just making fools out of all of us. My husband and my son and my daughter. I said, woman, get down those steps as quickly as you can and start screaming for mercy or you will be in hell within 20 minutes. With a look of real shock on her face, back down she went with with me right behind her. And I tell you, she changed her tune and in 40 minutes struck fire. She did some real preaching then on her own, clear until after daylight. Then I slipped back off to my headquarters. Now this brings me up to the eighth day. Very early that morning, the pastor's daughter got through And in the evening, she said, Brother Bevington, I've disobeyed my father for the first time in my life. I had to come here, as I feared I would lose my soul. Please pray I may be willing and able to endure my punishment. She well knew the temper of her father. I said, all right. I'll go up into the attic and I'll plead your case. You be loyal to what you have received. So up I went. She and her brother had about a mile to walk home. He was seeking sanctification, but as he had a whole lot to undo, it was somewhat tedious. I was pleading that the experience of the two would so melt the father's heart, he would be compelled to surrender. Finally, I felt the burden gone. Light was breaking as I raised up off the sleepers praising God for the daughter's victory. I went back to my straw stack. This being the ninth morning, I had not had one mouthful of food to eat or lain on anything except straw and sleepers. When I returned that night, the man of the house met me outside and asked, Brother Bevington, where are you staying? I said, that's none of your business. See here now, it is my business, and I'm going to make it so. I went today to the Reynolds, where I supposed you were stopping, and they said you were not there. I went all the places where you might have stopped. Where are you staying? None of your business. Go in there and get down and pray and get into the Holy Spirit. No, sir, I'm not going in there until you tell me. So I just pointed in the direction of the straw stack, Why, if this man has been sleeping and staying in that straw stack? Where have you been getting your meals, he asked. I just pointed to the skies. This man hasn't had a mouthful to eat for two weeks. Come on, get something to eat. I declined. As I was listening to his quizzing, here came the pastor. Wild eye, bareheaded, speeding through the snow in his cutter. His son and daughter were with him. Sleigh bells were ringing like crazy. He was being sifted. Son and daughter arrived home and had gone into the room where they were sleeping, believing his daughter to be upstairs. She called out to him and said, Father, I've disobeyed you last night. I just had to go back up there and not go to hell. Now, Father, I'm ready and prepared for my punishment. The son was standing at her side with his head bowed, pleading for the salvation of his father. And that this situation would be a means to that end. Go to bed and get up and leave me alone. No, Father, I want my punishment. I disobeyed you and I'm ready for my punishment. At that, he gave a yell. He bounded out of bed, fell on his face, and began to cry for mercy from God. The son and daughter dropped on their faces, and in ten minutes, their mother climbed out of bed, and she cried, O children, pray for me. 
I need what I believe you both have. So they wrestled in prayer until the following afternoon when the mother prayed through. The father did not get through. He asked us back to the to his church, and that night both rooms were full, and they had come back. The mother prayed through early the next morning, but the father still did not get through. As soon as it was daylight, he hitched up the horses, and he went to every one of those men and women whom he had called out of there and asked their forgiveness. It took him three days to make the circuit, but he did it. He said that at the first house he went to, he asked forgiveness and invited the people out to the meeting. They closed the door. He started to leave when a voice said, And is that all? He looked all around. He saw no one, anyone near. Not being used to the voice of God, he was quite puzzled. By the time he reached the gate, he heard the same voice again with the same words. He said he went back, fell on his knees before the people, and really asked their forgiveness. He gladly knelt and asked forgiveness of all 300 people from his church. We moved the meetings back to the church. We spent three weeks there. If I felt clear to tell you, I would no doubt be refreshing to relate many of the incidents that occurred during that time. But I'm going to cut the account short. by saying I preached only two sermons and these on the last day of the meeting. The rest of the time, I just lay on my face on the platform day and night. The pastor's wife, son, and daughter prayed through and got sanctified. There were several incidents at the path in the pastor's seeking of interest as it took five days and nights to kill him out. He rolled on the floor. He perspired profusely. He made restitutions. He put up quite a struggle. But he finally got through and was a good witness for several years. I saw him at the Cincinnati camp meeting three successive years And on the platform, he delivered a good message to full salvation, holiness. Yes, if all that were said and done, were recorded, it would make an interesting volume to read. They said over 300 people fell at the altar. Someone was getting through most all the time, day and night. The many who prayed through did so wonderfully, preaching, testifying. Restitutions were made in many instances. I've left out a lot of this five-week campaign, but I guess this will suffice. But I do want you to remember that all the time that I was in the straw stack, it was below freezing. Also that I trudged up there the first night, I cut my face and hands severely by falling in the frozen ruts. But neither the cuts nor the sleeping in the stack nor the struggling for souls caused me any sickness or hardship. I want to tell you, we're in deep trouble. The church is not saved. Most of you listening to this message or who will hear this message are not saved. Oh, you say you're saved. You say you're on your way to heaven. But you're not. You've deceived yourself. 
You've not cried out to God. And you have no fruit to show. I haven't cried out to God as I ought to for you. I've committed to Jesus Christ that I will cry out for you. There has to be a change in the church to make it. Brother, sister, we're not going to make it to heaven the way we are. We've got to begin praying through as these old-time Methodists They all said, 350 of them, and the preacher, oh, we're all saved. When I went to get my bride, Washington State, about a year and a half ago, I was standing talking with the pastor. He said, we're going to have a a revival meeting. I said, oh, that's awesome. But he said, it's going to be sanctification because we don't need holiness. We're already all saved. Are you kidding me? He wasn't kidding me. He actually believes that they're all saved and they're not. Most of them are totally lost. There's no fire in that church. There's no Holy Spirit presence in that church. It's a, a social church. It's not a holiness church. It's not a sanctification church. Tell me honestly, the church that you're a part of, if you're a part of a church, is it saved? And if you're not a part of a church, for sure you're not saved. Because if you were saved, you couldn't stay alone. You'd be winning others to Jesus Christ. You'd be pulling them into the arms of Jesus Christ. You'd be crying out. You'd be praying. You would not be satisfied with your own little religious group. During COVID, a man got so angry with me, he left. He he cut off friendship with me. And he cut off friendship with me because... He said, Pastor, I'm going to preach to my own my own boys and my own wife. I said, no, no, that's not the assembly of God. You're going to be training your children to be pagans, independent, not crying out to God. Now, if he had said to me, Pastor, my wife and my children and myself, we're going to cry out to God that he would save people and form an assembly in my home. Oh, now we're talking about something real. Well, he went on and told one of our mutual friends that I'd said that to him, and that mutual friend also cut me off and left. I have no contact with either one of them or their families, and their families were precious to me. He said, don't call my wife again. Don't don't talk to my wife, okay? It's your wife. I was friends with her before they were married. I married them. I brought them to Christ. Oh, but we just want our little fellowship. We don't want an assembly where you draw other people in and change lives. My heart is very disturbed. We're in trouble. Do you understand? You're in serious trouble with Jesus. Unless you're praying like I'm describing and winning people to Jesus and you've prayed through and you can preach and you can teach and the Holy Spirit is all over you, you're in trouble. It's got to be a change. Well, I'm going to do some praying. I welcome you to do some praying where you are. Mighty God of heaven. We're in such trouble. I'm in such trouble. We've got to come into your presence and confess and repent of every sin. We're so 
fat and happy, so comfortable, so laid back, so casual. Lord, it has to change. We can't continue this way, or we're going to all be lost. We'll all be swept away in the fire that is coming. Lord, I'm asking, please, in the name of Jesus, would you disturb us? Would you turn our hearts toward heaven? Would you cause us to come and confess our sin before you? Oh, Jesus, would you cause us to turn and confess our sin before you? No, our sins, for they are multiple. We love the world. We love the entertainment of the world. We love the softness of the world. Don't tell us to go walk in a snowbank. Oh, Lord, if we don't have a comfortable car to ride in, if we don't have an easy way to get to church, don't expect me to drive an hour to come to church, an hour and a half, two hours, three hours. Are you kidding me? I want it soft and easy. Jesus, somewhere in this wicked American life, We have lost you. We've lost you. We want everything easy, comfortable. Don't ask me to spend my money for the gospel. Are you kidding me? Don't ask me to go talk to people about Jesus. Don't ask me to go talk to Jesus about myself. Oh, Lord. That coldness, that casualness has frozen us out of heaven and it's got to be broken. That coldness has to be set on fire. Lord, that casualness, we can't tolerate it anymore. That entertainment that we so easily slip into. Lord, it makes us sick in our hearts, but we don't recognize it. It dulls our prayers. It drives the Holy Spirit from us. And we're left feeling like, oh, I'm okay. Everything's fine with me. Pastor, what's wrong with you? Oh, I tell you what's wrong with me. I see heaven slipping away from the American church. I see the the mighty hand of Jesus coming and taking the lampstand out of the church. I see the Holy Spirit withdrawing from us. No fire, no excitement, no tears, no weeping before God. Almighty God. You're going to have to change us. This city religion, this casual religion, this pursuit of of entertainment, concerts, plays, having what they call praise and worship music, And the music team looks like they're dressed like prostitutes. All slicked up. Like they're off to a cocktail party. Lord, it has to change. We can't go on like this, Jesus. I'm asking if you would come and break through in our hearts today. Lord, I don't know. I don't know how to pray. You're going to have to come and set me on fire and teach me to pray and teach me to intercede and cry aloud or we're going to be lost, Jesus. 
I need you, Holy Spirit. I need your power to heal me. I need the gifts of the Spirit to be returned to us. I'm tired of the formalism. I'm tired of the church game. Lord, I'm tired of the church game. I'm tired of those who are so offended. Go away like they're somebody. Lord, forgive us. Forgive them. Lord, there are people who belong at the National Prayer Chapel, and they know it. But they can't get past their pride. They can't get past their arrogance. Lord, I'm asking you to be very tender with them, for they were wronged. But Lord, I ask that with tender mercy you put your arms around them, and you heal their hearts. And you get them moving again out of themselves and into you, Jesus. For there need to be a who will pray at the prayer chapel, who will weep before your throne, who know that we have to get through for revival come to America. It's not just about us, Jesus. It's about our families. It's about the lost. It's about the casual and the cold-hearted. Lord, would you come? Would you come in power? Pray in your holy name. Amen. I hope today you're embarrassed. I am. I'm embarrassed that we have to go back again and do this all over. We should be strong filled with the Spirit, proclaiming the gospel. But instead, we're dead. Laodicea. Lukewarm. All of us are, including Pastor Ray. But I'm going to get through. I want you to get through, too. I want you to come and Spend some time with us on Sundays. This is what we're going to do. This is, this is what you're going to find. A hungry preacher who hasn't made it through. Are you hungry? Do you like that opening song? Drink deeply of Jesus. Well, I'm going to stop this message now. And I'm going to take some time, a few minutes, to pray specifically for you. To pray for your healing. Some of you are very, very sick. And you need the healing hand of Jesus to touch you. Some of you are very discouraged. You know that what I've been saying is right. Some of you are just mad, but you're still listening. Oh, my brother, my sister. Let's pray. Lord, I come to just utterly cast myself upon your mercy. Utterly cast myself upon your mercy. To come and know that you alone are the healer, God. And there are some today who are in such awful pain, back pain, leg pain like I'm in. There's others of you who are desperately poor and you don't know how you're going to make it. Lord, I pray for all of these precious ones. I ask that you will restore many and send new to come to the prayer chapel 
so we can pray together. Lord, you are the Holy One of Israel. I pray right now and lift my hand for those who are in back pain or kidney. For those of you who are with cancer, I come praying for those of you who have mental disability. For those of you who are crippled like I am, Lord, I come lifting up my hand and praying for these precious men and women who are having such a difficult time just surviving. You didn't come that we could just survive. You came that we could thrive, that we could walk in the fullness of your blessing, that we could be forgiven for our sins and washed and made clean by the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, I come praying for your people. Lord, your people need to be such a mighty sign of your grace, such a mighty sign of your healing, not left alone out there wandering where the wolves come after them. Lord, I pray for your mercy. I pray for your mercy. For without your mercy, we have no hope, Jesus. I pray for your healing power to suddenly begin to flow right now for each of those conditions and every other place where there is just anguish and pain and disappointment and loneliness. Lord, I ask that you would come with healing in your wing. For you are the great, you are the great Savior. By your stripes we are healed. By your stripes we are healed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. I believe right now that healing is happening. That many are being touched by your hand of mercy in the city of Washington, D.C., where we're on the radio, on the YouTube, and on the many other platforms that, that carry our material, our broadcast. Lord, I ask for that healing hand right now by faith, I know that healing is going forth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that your, that your blood shed on Calvary would be a shield over each person who has prayed with me. Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. We have just five minutes of broadcast time left. I'm going to continue praying for you. And I'm going to be looking for you on Sunday. There are many that I'm praying for by name. Please come, be bold. And I ask you, please pray for me and for Brother Ed. Pray for Twyla, my, my precious wife, and for Song, Ed's wife. We are seeking Jesus with all of our hearts. Please pray for us. 
I also am not able to continue this ministry if you don't continue with your tithes and offerings. Write to me, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Nina, thank you. Dirk, thank you. Chris, thank you. Tom and Brenda, thank you. Well, we're running out of time. Will you take action? Will you get on your face before Almighty God and get serious with him? I don't know how. Yeah, just open your heart and let pour out what you know the Holy Spirit's been telling you. And ask the Holy Spirit to come in power and coach you, show you what to say and how to say it. Open your heart to God as to a friend. He will not turn you away. He will hear you. You see, the wonderful truth is Jesus loves you. (laughs) Jesus loves you. And he wants to set you free. He wants to bring you fully into his kingdom and totally out of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus is faithful. I know he will heal me. I'm waiting for that healing. I'm knowing that he will restore the gifts of healing to his church. I'm knowing that people are listening to this broadcast, not very many. But as you get serious and you pray and you come and pray with us, God's going to do some incredible things in this city and in this nation. I don't listen to what the the world tells me is going to happen. I listen to what the Holy Spirit tells me he's going to do. And it's all good. But it's going to be a painful breakthrough. My dear brother and sister, I love you. I treasure you. I'd love to talk with you personally. God bless you. We'll talk soon. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.